This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Discussing Shavuot, which is around the corner, almost around the corner. And before we talk about Shavuot, I talk about one of the most important and the insignificant mountains. It's most important because Mount Sinai, Har Sinai, the Torah says to remember and not forget what happened on Har Sinai. So it's a very important mountain. But the mountain itself is insignificant. What does that mean? It's not holy. Mount Moriah, where Abraham, we talked about last week, how uh, the importance of Yushalayim, Hara Moriah, is way more important to us than Mount Sinai. So the mountain itself is not important, but the events on the mountain, that's what we have to not forget. We have to be very careful, the Torah says, not forget the events that happened on Har Sinai. So now we have to equate. Now what's, in the last few parashiyot, we've been talking about dedication of the sanctuary, dedication of Mishkan, which took place on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And uh, one of the laws of the sanctuary is you're not allowed to see the Aron. No Jew is allowed to see the Aron HaKodesh on pain of death. Not allowed to see it, not allowed to come close to it in the Holy of Holies, not allowed to touch it on pain of death. Why is that? Why is the Aron HaKodesh so holy? So that's one of the things the rabbis ask. So Ramban Nachmanides has a beautiful section at the beginning of Parashat Shuma. Nachmanides, he says, the unique and unprecedented display of glory of Hashem that we witnessed when he rested on Har Sinai didn't end forever. The Shekhinah didn't just way, make its way back up to the heaven. Instead, it now came to rest in the Mishkan. The Shekhinah's presence rested in the Mishkan. Torah tells us that the cloud came to rest on the Mishkan. Whenever God uh, wanted to speak to Moshe, they would see the cloud on top of the Mishkan. So interesting, the Shekhinah didn't go back up. It stayed down below after the Mishkan was built. The Mishkan, the Shekhinah's presence was felt among the Jewish people. So Rabban says the Mishkan was a portable Har Sinai. The Mishkan was a portable Mount Sinai that the Jews took with them wherever they went. So they came back to Israel and they built the Mishkan, the sanctuary in Shiloh for 100 years. And then eventually they built the Beit HaKadosh. That became Har Sinai in a sense. It became the events of Har Sinai we took with us. That God's presence, the fact that God spoke to man and God showed himself a little bit. What does that mean? Whatever that means, we have some kind of vision. We have some kind of vision, experience Har Sinai that we took with us. That Hashem said, build a Mishkan and my, my Shekhinah's presence will dwell among you. And this way you have a little bit of Har Sinai with you all the time. And that is the secret of the Mishkan, of the sanctuary, the Ramban says. It's the secret of a continuation of Mount Sinai, of the revelation of Mount Sinai. And as a continuation, that Hashem wants Har Sinai to live before our eyes forever. And Hashem wants the Mishkan to reenact the events of Har Sinai. Whenever you go to the temple three times a year, Jews got to go to the Beit HaMikdash, which unfortunately we don't have today, and reenact the giving of the Torah, reenact the Kabbalat, HaTorah, which is the acceptance of the Torah. So now we have to try and envision this without any Mishkan, without any remembrance of the events of Mount Sinai. We have to try and envision every day this giving of the Torah, this colossal um, Chidush, something new in nature, that Hashem talked to man, not just to man as a singular individual. Hashem's revelation reached millions of people at the same time. That is the greatness of Mount Sinai. That's what we're going to celebrate on Shavuot. Now, by the way, today I heard a very amazing story. Shavuot, it says, the Midrash says, on Shavuot, all the Jews that got to Mount Sinai were healed. Hashem healed every single Jew. Can you imagine all the Jews in all these building projects in Egypt, how many slaves were wounded and hurt, maimed. When they get to Mount Sinai, they all were healed. Shavuot is a day of segula. It's a a special day on which a person should pray for those they know who are sick. You can ask for something, a supernatural miracle. Usually don't ask for supernatural miracles. We know on Shavuot, the Jews were healed in a supernatural way. 
So it's a day which is a special day for healing. So Shavuot is a day in which Matan Torah lives on. We have to come along and try and envision this whole experience. It's so hard to do. When we read the words on, on Shavuot in the Parashat Yitro, we read about they came to Mount Sinai and they get the Torah and everything was uh, earthquake and the mountain was trembling and there was thunder and lightning and then they heard Hashem's shofar blast woke them up and they trembled and we got to try and envision that experience and live, live on that experience. So we have a way of living on that experience by the Mishkan, which we don't have today, the temple, uh, where you can see a bit of the Shekhinah's presence, but we don't have that today. So now it's just left to us and our imaginations. We have to envision this whole event. So it's interesting because King David says in Tehillim, Psalm 68, verse 18, Hashem bam, Sinai bakodesh. Now it's usually read as a run-on. Hashem bam Sinai Bakodesh. No, Hashem bam. Hashem has settled among Amisers. Hashem is with you. Bam, inside you. Sinai Bakodesh. Sinai is in the Kodesh. Har Sinai lives on in the Kodesh, in the holy, in the temple. So it's interesting. How does Hashem live on within us? Because Sinai lives on inside the Kodesh. As I mentioned today, we don't have this today. So the Kodesh HaKodeshim, the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, was the heart of our nation. And that's where Hashem, the, the Luchot that we got on Mount Sinai, the two tablets were inside the Holy of Holies. And that's how Sinai lives on among us. Hashem wants that experience of our Sinai. The awe we felt on the greatest day of our history to remain forever. It's a mitzvah from the Torah to remember this. The Torah says in Parashat Bayit Hanan, where the Ten Commandments are repeated again. Lecha, be careful. In case you forget the things that your eyes saw. Don't forget what your eyes saw. So it's a very important this idea of remembering the events of Mount Sinai. There's an actual negative commandment. Don't forget the events that your eyes saw. Amazing. Don't forget the events that your eyes saw. That's something which there's a negative commandment the Torah not to forget the events that a person's eyes saw on Mount Sinai. Amazing, 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 amazing. Not to forget. Don't forget. And then what is a positive mitzvah? You will teach your children. You will tell your children about it. You'll tell your children about the events on Mount Sinai. You'll tell your children. So now people ordinary fall into an error. They think this refers to the laws of the Torah. Or you teach your children. You teach your children the laws, the mitzvot, the commandments of the Torah. No, Rambam says. This is a very interesting Rambam. The Rambam is, is in a letter he wrote to the Jews of Yemen. You know, Rambam was in Egypt that time. Rambam had a very tough life. He was wandering around the world till he found some kind of peace. He couldn't find it in Spain. They were thrown out. Jews was uh, well, it's before the actual exodus of Jews from Spain. It was during the oppression under the Muslims. And he ran away to Morocco. From Morocco, he ran to Israel. And Israel was a fight, tug of war between the Christians and the Muslims at that time. And Rambam ran away and he came to Cairo where he found some kind of peace. And he was in a position through his contacts with the vizier of Cairo to help the Jews of Yemen. The Jews of Yemen were at that time being persecuted by the Muslims, being converted by the sword to Islam. And the Rambam was in a position to help them politically through his, his contacts in the Egyptian government. And he wrote, they were surrounded by messiahs, false messiahs. He wrote them a letter called the famous Igeret Teman, the letter to Jews of Yemen. And the Ramam over here says, but that Temle bin does not mean you teach your children the mitzvot about the Torah. But that Temle bin says, you teach your children about the event of Sinai. In other words, we have to pass down through our children, our children's children. That's what the Torah says. Your children, your children's children, this event of Sinai, that we have to try and transmit to them the awe. The revelation, very hard to imagine, even for us. So now we have to transmit 
First, we have to try and imagine it ourselves. What were the events of Sinai? Think about how the events of, of Sinai transpired. This mountain covered by a cloud, by fire, uh, thunder, lightning, and other things. And uh, here we are, and we have to try and envision that and pass that vision down to our children. Pass down the vision, Brahma says. It's not just pass down the learning of the Torah, pass down the vision of the revelation of Sinai to our children. That's the Pasuk. I just want to quote you this Pasuk. It's in Devarim chapter 4, verse 9. You should make known to your children. So Ramam says, what do you make known to your children? You make known the revelation of Sinai, not just the mitzvot, but the actual uh, transmission of what happened. Transmit to them the actual events that happened at Sinai. And that's something which we have to teach our children and not just our children. Any grandparents out there, they teach your children's children as well. The, uh, the mitzvah of teaching does not stop with one's children. It's, it continues with our children's children. We have to teach our children and our children's children. What do we teach them? The Rambam says, a bichidush, not just about the Torah we learned. We have to teach them also about the revelation at Sinai, the actual events at Sinai, how the mountain, we have to try and transmit. It was an unearthly event. There's a revelation of God and man that the world has never seen before that and never seen since. A revelation, a mass revelation. Three million people were at Mount Sinai who had this mass revelation and they witnessed some kind of spiritual being on the mountain talking to them. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Now, I don't know if you, if you were here, if you were there, you would hear it with your ears, but you could sense it. It was an earth, unearthly experience. It was a visual experience. It was a physical experience. All the trembling, the mountain, the earthquake, the thunder, the lightning. Uh, and then this mighty roar of the shofar. And then they, it says they saw the words. They saw and they heard the words. And that's, that's an amazing experience. That's something which um, no one has experienced before that. No one has experienced since then, except for individuals, prophets, individuals who had some kind of uh, in prophecy like that, that no one else has experienced. But we have to transmit that to our children. But first, we have to try and envision it for ourselves. And then we can try and transmit to our children. That's what you have to transmit. The day, the experiences of that day that you stood, it says, before Hashem on Choreb. Choreb was Mount Sinai, another name for Haman Sinai. So, and what happens when your children ask you, your grandchildren ask you, how do you know? And the answer is, I know because my grandparents told me. My parents taught me, my grandparents taught me, and that's how I know. That is, a, that is amazing. That's, that's the events that we have to teach. We have to teach this event to our children, 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 that what? That we have to try and live. First, we have to imagine this experience of standing at Sinai. It's very hard to do, by the way. It's very, very hard to do. We have no idea, but we have to read the words of the Torah in the Parsha Yitro, Parsha Bait Hanan, which talk about the events of Mount Sinai and try and use our imagination. You know, today there are movies, they made many movies, Moses and the Ten Commandments, and they made a few times, but I don't think that's going to help us because that gives us a kind of false impression of what happened. We have to try and envision the thunder, the lightning. I mean, if you haven't been through a thunderstorm, it's awesome. Now imagine a thunderstorm put on for you. A personal thunderstorm put onto you from God. The mass of the universe is uh, trying to get your attention. Thunderstorm, it says the Jews, they overslept. Uh, they couldn't, they were just exhausted. All the walking they did in the desert to get to Mount Sinai from Egypt, it exhausted them. And when Har um, Shavuot came, they were fast asleep and Hashem had to wake them up. So he woke them up with this terrifying experience, thunder, lightning, and the shofar. And they were terrified. Now, that's something which we don't really think about, is the idea of being terrified. You're hearing God's voice, and you're terrified. There's terror. People are, are in terror, a state of terror. So what do they gain at Mount Sinai? This is something which people forget. They didn't just gain what they heard. They just heard two commandments. And they told Moses after that, we can't take any more. We're going to die. We're so terrified. We're so Our minds are blown by the experience. It's a mind-blowing experience to have a revelation from God. It's a mind-blowing experience. So we have to transmit this idea of witnessing something just mind-blowing. That from now on, you know what? 
we believe you, Moses. You talk to God. We can see you talk to God. God talked to us and we can experience now what you go through. And you know what? It's better you go through it than we go through it. We can't take this anymore. We can't take this talk with God. God is, is just such an awesome, terrifying experience. So what did they gain from this experience? They gained pachad. They gained awe. They gained fear. They got irachamai. They gained this idea that, you know, there's a God who cares about us. There's a God that can see us. There's a God that's there when you need him. There's a God right there 24-7. There's a God, and we're scared. We're terrified of God. God is the master of the universe. And that's what Kabbalah Tatorah means for us in terms of this experience at Mount Sinai. It's not just a witness. You know, by the way, the, the Ramam says this is the Amud Ha'emunah. This is the foundation of all our belief system that the Torah was from heaven because we were there. It wasn't just one prophet who came along and said, you know what, I saw this revelation. No, we were there. We all witnessed the revelation. And now we know for sure, that's what Ramam says, that God spoke to Moses. Why? Because God spoke to us and we witnessed it. Now we know that God can speak to human beings. Before that, people didn't believe that God spoke to human beings. But now that witness, three million people felt God speak to human beings. That's what we have to transmit to our children. This experience that God can speak to man and not just speak to man, man can somehow survive and pass this message on through his posterity. And that's what we have to do. We have to pass down this message which got to us through our parents and our grandparents and reading the Torah and the synagogues and whoever transmitted this uh, message to us. And that's something which we have to do. We have to know we are all transmitters. Each one of us is a transmitter. You know, just like the message was passed down to us, that there was a revelation at Sinai and all the Jews saw it, we have to pass that message down to our children and grandchildren. And that's what the Torah says, be careful. Don't forget the revelation. Don't forget the act of the revelation. And it's interesting how the, this, uh, the wording even has been taken over by another religion. The acts of revelation. So it's interesting, but that's exactly what the Torah is telling us in Devarim. In chapter 4, verse 9, don't forget. Be very careful not to forget. And it's one of the things we have to remember every day. Every day we have to remember this vision at Sinai to keep this message going. Every day we have to remember all of us were at Mount Sinai. All our souls, it says, every single Jew's soul was at Mount Sinai. Something left an imprint in the Jew's soul. And we see all these Jews coming back today. There's Bale Tshuva uh, coming back from all over the world. You know, I see them in Yerushalayim. A lot of Bale Tshuva here, young Jews, old Jews. Uh, they're all coming back. Why? Because their souls were at Mount Sinai. There's something that speaks to us within. There is a God, he speaks to us within, that's the revelation of Mount Sinai. But from there, we gain this idea of awe. There's an awe of Hashem that unfortunately the world is losing today. The awe of Hashem. Each one of us, we have to try and envision the awe that the people felt. And we're not only meant to envision this for ourselves, we're meant to propagate this. We're meant to speak to our children, we're meant to speak to our grandchildren, and use propaganda. This is propaganda that there was a vision at Sinai, revelation that millions of people saw, which is the Ten Commandments, this idea of Ten Commandments, really 14 commandments, my mom counts them as 14, the Ten Sayings, that's what the Torah says, Aseret Adibrot, the Ten Sayings, that God, can imagine, the most powerful being in the world could have lectured us for hours on end, he gave a five-minute speech. It's a very powerful message, that if you really have a message to, to relate, it doesn't have to take long to relate it. Hashem he says, uh, it says, Rav Sadia goes through all the Ten Commandments and he brings down each commandment, covers uh, all the other commandments. So there was Ten Commandments, but 613. The roots, they're the roots of the 613 commandments. He learns all the other commandments from the Ten. It's a beautiful way, beautiful. You can write a whole book on the Ten Commandments and learn everything out from the Ten Commandments, the Ten Saints. We're meant to speak about them, we're meant to teach our children, our grandchildren. We're meant to be on guard not to forget that this happened, this event happened. And Rambam says an amazing idea. He says, Gidlu This is the most important event that happened in the history of the world, Rambam says. This is the main event that happened more than creation. The giving of the Torah was bigger than creation. How do we know? Where, where's this hinted to in the Torah? So the Gemara says in Abu Razar, Page three a says, "Vahi erev vahi boker." We say this every every Shabbat in Kiddush. 
Rabbi say, you know what, Yom Hashishi is not talking about the first six days. Even though the sixth day was very important. The sixth day was creation of mankind. Adam and Hala were created on the sixth day. So the animals on the sixth day, Hashishi. But there's a hint over there to the next Yom Hashishi. The sixth day of Sivan is when the Torah was given to Am Yisrael. By Erevai Boki Yom Hashishi, the Talmud says the sixth day of Sivan is hinted to in Yom Hashishi. That's when the Torah was given. That's when the world was recreated. It's a total recreation. The world had forgotten about the creation of the world. It's interesting. This idea that the ten, the ten plagues were like a message to the world that God is in control. I created the world with ten sayings. I'm going to give you ten plagues. Each plague corresponds to one of the saints to remind you I am in mastery of the world. That's what the message of the Ten Commandments are, ten plagues. And God has to reinforce that with the Ten Commandments. So ten, number ten reminds us of the ten saints that God created the world. And here we have another ten saints. Interesting. So the ten saints are called the Asaram Mamarot. Ten saints God created the world. And over here it's Aseret Hadibrot. It's also ten saints. Instead of Mamar, it uses the word Dibur. It's very fascinating. It was between Ma'amar and Dibur. So Rashi says Dibur is a much kind of harsher language. The burial of Israel. And but it talks when it says Beit Yaakov, which is the women, it says Ve'amarta le Beit Yaakov. Ve'taged le Beit Yaakov. Taged, what's the bear? It's a much harsher kind of language. So the Ten Commandments are much harsher language than the creation of the world. Here Hashem is pushing this message. I'm here. I'm in control. I want to give you. I want to give you. This, uh, these are the rules by which you have to live by. These are the rules for life. Very interesting. In a very simple way. Some commandments are just two words. Uh, you know, the sixth commandment. All these are two word commands. So powerful. These words encapsulate so much meaning and so much relevance. But it's interesting how Shem knowing that human life, uh, human, human attention span is so short. He kept it really short. He kept his message short to the point and powerful. And that's what something we have to also, when we pass it down to our children, keep it short, keep it powerful, keep it strong. But not only to our children and grandchildren, but to say this in gatherings. This is, you know, it's like propaganda, telling everyone, you know, God gave us the Torah, revelation around Sinai. Tremendous revelation. And uh, one thing for sure, when they heard the words of Hashem, it put a terror in their hearts. They could never have imagined this total, you know, revelation is terrifying. You know, Rambam says that one of the things that the prophets have to be is, he says 10 things. One of them is very strong. They have to be very strong to withstand this terror of prophecy. It's a terror, it's a revelation. So you can imagine this, we, we can't even understand what's going on. Because the mind is taken over by this being who starts pushing in ideas into the head. It's a tremendous terror, a terrifying experience. And it's something that the Jewish people never imagined. It was the first time a nation had such an experience, probably the last time as well, Hashem could speak to a person and live. And so... It's interesting because no one thought that Moshe Rabbeinu was getting messages from God because he's still alive. How can you get a message from God and be still alive? So Hashem proved it. You're going to get messages from me and you're barely going to stay alive. It's going to, you're barely, so that's why they said we can't take it anymore. So it's interesting. No one else, no one up to that time believed this. People could speak to me. It's such a trauma, traumatic event. And the Pasuk in Shir Hashim describes in chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Nafshi Yatsa my soul left when he spoke to me. My soul left when he spoke to me. They fell into a swoon, a death swoon. Their souls passed out of their bodies. The, the Gemara says, the Midrashim say that the angels had to come push their souls back into their bodies, had to be revived from the dead. And uh, Hashem sent them a dew, and the dew of the revival of the dead, and they got life again. The Pasuk says in Tehillim, continuation, Psalm 68, that the angels came and they put their neshamot back into them. They pushed back the neshamot that came out into them. And, uh, and what do they say to Moshe? Why should we die? We heard two commandments we can't take anymore. 
why should we die? This great fire, this conflagration around us, it's, it's, you know, it's amazing, this is wild. You know, there's a beautiful story in, uh, in the book of Melachim. It's a story that happened to Elisha, Elisha the prophet. Elisha the prophet was uh, in the city of Shechem of uh, Shomron. In the city of Shomron, capital city of Israel, there was a famine. And before he got there, there was a war with uh, the Syrians. The Syrians sent an army to capture, and they wanted to capture Elisha especially. So what happens is, Elisha is there, his servant is there, they see all the horses and the army around them, and the servant is terrified. He's terrified. And Elisha says, why are you terrified? So he says, you're terrified because look at all the enemy. They're all around us. They're going to capture us soon. And Elisha says, Hashem opened his eyes. Hashem opened the, the servant's eyes and he saw chariots of fire around them. He saw God's army around them. We can't see the spiritual picture. And if we see the spiritual picture, it might go out of our minds. <laughs> so that's the problem. So Jews, imagine, for two minutes, they saw the spiritual picture. They got a message directly from Hashem and they were terrified. They're going out of their minds. Their minds were being blown. And their souls were leaving them, and the angels had to push back their souls. So what they say, they say, Moshe Abenu, why should we die? This this big fire around us. Imagine the fire was a spiritual fire. There was there was no fire on Mount Sinai. It was a spiritual fire. This fire is going to consume us, and the voice is going to burn our nerves. This voice that we're hearing inside our brains. If we hear this voice more, we're going to die. We're going to die. So what should they do? That's it. You are the one we're going to point to. We, now we believe in your prophecy. This is the Amud. This is the pillar of our Amunai in, in all the, the Torah, Moshe, Abenu, because we saw with our own eyes in getting prophecy, and we ourselves shared the prophecy, and we couldn't take any more. We said, Moshe, now we believe you. You're our messenger. You're going to take over. And this is the pillar of our faith, Ramam says, not the creation of the world, not the Ten uh, Plagues, not the Ten Commandments. The pillar of our faith is that we were there at Sinai. We heard and we saw. We know there's a God. We saw for our, with our own eyes. And this is what we have to pass down to our children. It's not belief. We know. Why? Because we were there. If we weren't there, our forefathers were there. If we weren't there, our souls were there. We were there and we witnessed. And this is what we have to pass on. That's why Hashem is telling us in the Torah. In chapter 4 of Dvarim, Ishamer Lecha. Be careful. Don't forget this message. Don't forget this revelation this is something you have to pass down to your children your grandchildren to the rest of the world this revelation of sinai you know it's it's amazing because we've done that the whole world has heard about ten commandments hope if they haven't heard of it then we start to tell them so this idea the revelation mass revelation to man is possible and we're going to see this again when mashiach comes it's going to be a mass revelation and we have to prepare ourselves and the torah says i'm going to send you eliyahu navi before the great day. So what is the mission of Eliyahu Navi? So it's interesting, Rabbi Ari Kaplan, in his book on Jewish meditation, which I highly recommend, Rabbi Ari Kaplan says, what's the job of Eliyahu Navi before the great day? He says the job will be to teach Jews how to be prophets again. Because on the great day, we'll all have mass revelation. In other words, when the Jews came out of Egypt, what has Moshe Rabbeinu been doing for 40 days and 40 nights? Well, it wasn't 40 days and 40 nights. It was 49 days and 49 nights, which is Firat Omer, the days of walking from Egypt to Mount Sinai. 50 days, they got to, oh, 50 days, they get to Sinai. What were they doing for 50 days? Moshe was preparing them for revelation. He was teaching them some prophecy. He was teaching them the ABCs, the prophets of mentioned. They're walking and Moshe is talking to them, giving them speeches and drashot and lessons, how to become how to get revelation because there's no other way to get revelation if you're not prepared for it. You're going to go mad and they nearly went mad even though they were semi-prepared. But so that's something which we have to talk about before Mashiach comes. Eliyahu Nabi's job before Mashiach comes will be to teach us, imagine, to be able to withstand God's voice inside. It's a mind-blowing experience. We have to prepare ourselves. So we already heard this. We already been through this. Hashem spoke to us and uh, now let us speak through you because now we believe. We believe that Hashem speaks to man. We believe you are the go between. So we're going to give it over to you.
So the question is, should they have persisted? Should they have said, no, we're not going to give it over to you. We want to hear this. We want to do this. But you know what? They just couldn't do it. They knew themselves they're going to die. There's no way they could withstand this. They're not on the same level, spiritual level as Moshe Rabbeinu. And in a sense, it was a shame. It was a tragedy. That's the reason why we lost so many Jews over the centuries is because they didn't listen to the whole message. They just got a partial message. If we listen to the whole message, I'm sure that the Jews through the centuries would have remained faithful all the way because they've just been embedded into them. So we just heard the 10 sayings. We didn't even hear the 10 sayings. We only heard two sayings. Uh, but that lasted, listen, it's, it's been 3,000, nearly 400 years. And the message is still going on. We're still talking about it. So Baruch Hashem, it was successful up to a certain point. And Bezrat Hashem is going to be more successful. And these lost Jews are going to come back. Let them hear the voice of Sinai um, coming back. And uh, so Moshe Rabbeinu gets the baton. It's passed down to him. And the Jewish people pass it down to him. And uh, and Moshe Rabbeinu says, you know what? Hashem approves. Hashem says, okay, you don't have to hear the whole message. I'll be the messenger and that's enough. And I'll pass down the message to you. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem says, it was good what they said. And uh, however he says, Hashem said, me ten, the man yitavlahem, the le'olam. That continue forever in the same frame of mind in order it should be good for them and for their children forever. If you remember this revelation and you remember the awesomeness of the occasion, it's going to stick with you and it's going to stick with your children. And that's something which we have to try and pass down, but we have to try and imagine ourselves the awesomeness of the event. I mean, how are we going to, it's so hard to you know, read the words and use the imagination. That's what imagination is given to us trying to imagine these events that they happen. You know, it's very interesting. When you learn Jewish history, it's like, it replays. I know for me, at least, you know, replaying every day, you know, the Jewish history, the good parts and the bad parts. And it's like, you're living it. You're living Jewish history. You're living, that's, that's a living Jew. A living Jew is a Jew who lives with the history of the Jewish people with them all constantly. And one of the major parts of the, of the history of the Jewish people is the history of the awe of revelation that should stick with us till the end of time. And because we're going to witness it again. All of Revelation is going to be with us again. And we said that Mishkan was Mount Sinai, a traveling Mount Sinai. And the uh, Luchot, Ten Commandments, which we got uh, eventually on uh, uh, 40 days later, which unfortunately Moshe Rabbeinu smashed. And he got another second Luchot on Yom Kippur, the following Yom Kippur. They're both inside the Arona Kodesh, which was in the Mishkan. So the Mishkan is this wandering Har Sinai. We talked about Har Sinai. It's not. It's insignificant. The mountain itself is insignificant to the point where we don't even know where it is, even though there's a monastery over there. And they say it's the burning bush. They put a sign over there, burning bush. Um, we're not sure it's the right place. We have no idea where Mount Sinai is. Some people say it's in Saudi Arabia. Did they cross the sea? Did they go across? Came back the same side. You know what? It doesn't matter. The mountain is not holy. Why? Because temporary holiness doesn't make holiness. Artificial holiness does not make holiness. The proof is that 40 days after Mount Sinai, they worship the golden calf. So it's Mount Sinai is an artificial high. The trick is not to get artificially high, but to keep us build a high naturally plodding up the mountain every day is another step in the ladder of service of Hashem. Every time we pray, every time we say a bracha, every time we do a mitzvah, every mitzvah is a step on the ladder. It's not an artificial high, it's a real high. Getting up there is a real high. Me, Hashem, who will climb the mountain of God and who will stay up the mountain. That's the trip. It's not to climb the mountain just for a day, just for 40 days, but who's going to stay up that mountain? That's a slow and steady wins the race. The tortoise versus, versus the hare. So 40, 50 days it took them to get to Mount Sinai, to get the Torah on a visual high. 40 days later, back down worse. They're worshiping idols. Like, that's a tragedy. So we have to try and climb the mountain ourselves and our lives. You know, today I was just learning the book of Joshua. I just started learning some kids into the book of Joshua. And the first few psukim, it says, Hazak ve'ematz. Hazak ve'ematz. Three times, three times. Hashem tells Joshua, be strong, be courageous. Don't be scared, don't be scared, don't be scared. 
What's going on? Why? Why Joshua? Why? Joshua was a scary cat. Was he such a scared guy? So what's he, Hashem saying three times? So the first time it says, because you are going to inherit the land of Canaan to the Jewish people. You're going to be the messenger who's going to conquer Canaan. So don't be scared from the Canaanites. You're going to have to fight all these wars. There's going to be bloodshed. Don't be scared. Okay. You can understand that. The second time he says, keep the words of the Torah. Keep the mitzvot, the positive commandments, the negative mitzvot. And be strong. What do you have to be strong for? Keeping the Torah is such a thing. You need the courage and need to be strong. And the answer is yes, to keep the Torah right through the ages. With anti-Semitism and persecution, plus the enemy within. That's the Yisra'ab. So that's going to have strength to overcome this nagging, persistent enemy, non-stop enemy within. Don't do it. What for? It's not. You don't need to do it today. You know, Kashrut is uh, today. You have the USDA. And then you have to That's the answer. Next, be strong. Chazak ve'emat. And the third Chazak ve'emat is he's a leader of the Jewish people. We know Moshe Rabbeinu went through the Jewish people. Any leader of the Jewish people, Chazak ve'emat. Strong in three directions. That's amazing. This idea of Chazak ve'emat. We, the Jews, we have to be strong. We have to continue this message. And uh, it's interesting because we said that the Mishkan and then eventually the Ben Amikdash was the substitute for Sinai. The message carries on. The, the Ark contains these tablets, which came eventually, which came down through Mount Sinai. Moses was up on Mount Sinai. They came from Mount Sinai. The message is on in the Ark of the Covenant, which we don't even have today. We've lost the Ark. We've lost the tablets. It's like, it's terrible. We've lost the main foundations of our faith that we can prove to the world this is where our faith is based on, we've lost. It's all today. It's all in our memory banks. Judaism history lives on our memory banks. If it's not strong enough, then everyone will not be strong. So we have to recreate this in our minds. This idea that Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Mount Sinai and we heard this message from God and uh, he went out for 40 days and 40 nights. He gets brings down the tablets and he sees the Jews and he smashes the tablets. This has to be indelibly inscribed in our memories, in the memory of our children. Then he goes up again and he gets the second tablets on, on Yom Kippur. He gets this message to build the Mishkan on Yom Kippur. They, he comes down, they build the Mishkan straight after he comes down. And that's, uh, that's the Mishkan is the replacement for our Sinai. How do we know? Because that's where God's voice came from when he spoke to Moshe. It came from the kapur. On top of the lid of the holy ark were two kruvim, which represent the angels, and between the two kruvim, the voice came out. So that was Sinai. It's a portable Sinai. That's why the Mount Sinai itself is not important to us. It's a portable. Today it became a portable. We take it everywhere we go. We take Sinai with us in our hearts. We have to take Sinai with us in our hearts. And as long as the chain of tradition does not break, everywhere we go, Sinai is with us. So that is what Hashem wants. Now, what's interesting is, where is Sinai today? So let's talk about that, because we find a very interesting Jewish history. We know that the Babylonians captured the Jews, destroyed the first temple, and took the Jewish captives to Babylon. Yeah. David Amber writes a prophecy in Tehillim. He says, uh, by the rivers of, of Babylon, we sat and we wept and we hung up our harps. What, who was the leader in Babylon? Prophet Ezekiel and eventually Ezra the scribe. Ezra described one of the great sages. But it says when Cyrus the Great, Koresh, who was a big tzaddik, uh, the rabbis tell us, who was going to be Mashiach, I don't know how he's a non-Jew, but he was like a messianic figure. It was like a person who God entrusted with running the world. Can you imagine God entrusts this King Koresh to run the world? And Koresh gives the Jews permission to go back to Israel. And very few Jews went back. Among them, Ezra Sofer did not go back. Why did Ezra Sofer, the great Ezra Sofer, not go back to Israel to build a temple? He only goes back much later. He only goes back when Dariavish, the son of Esther, allows the Jews to go back again. He goes back. Why did he go back before that? As soon as Koresh said, go back, he could have gone back. Why did he go back? So rabbis say, because his rabbi was still in Babylon. Who was Ezra Sofer's rabbi? It was the disciple of Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah's disciple, Baruch ben Neriah. Baruch ben Neriah, Sigmar says, as long as Baruch ben Neriah was alive, 
Ezra Sofer didn't go back to Israel. It's known as my Mount Sinai. Who is my Mount Sinai? My Mount Sinai is where I get my Torah. Where do I get my Torah? In a situation where the oral law is still oral, I get it from the person who's teaching me oral law. That's my Mount Sinai. You have to remember that. Who is my Mount Sinai? So today we've written down. But still, we need people to teach us. And those people become our Mount Sinai. Those people become our links. Our links to the real Mount Sinai, to Torah and Mitzvot. So that's, that's why it says, amazing idea, especially in those days. The Mount Sinai is your teacher. Mount Sinai is where you get your traditions from. Mount Sinai is where you get your Torah from. So who is the one you get your Torah from? That's your Mount Sinai. So Ezra Sofer would not leave exile in Babylon till Baruch and Neria passed away. And then he left and went back and he built the second temple. Amazing. So can you imagine he was delaying as long as his personal Mount Sinai was alive? He said, I can't leave. I cannot leave exile. As long as my Mount Sinai is alive, we have to appreciate this. That in our lives there are Mount Sinai's people who teach us Torah are Mount Sinai's. This is our link, but we don't need today. We have Art Scroll. We're so fortunate. We have all these vehicles. We have Torah anytime. All these vehicles of Mount Sinai, little Mount Sinai's, where we get our knowledge from, and we have to suck as much as we can from Mount Sinai. We have to get as much as we imbibe. Not like the Jews told Moshe, you know, you listen and tell us afterwards. You know, we have to be there. We have to be there. We're the ones who have to be there. If we were all there and listened to all the sayings of Hashem, Judaism would have been a different situation today. So Ezra Sofer, the Gemara says in the Gila 16b, that Ezra Sofer refused to go to Israel as long as his Mount Sinai, his personal Mount Sinai was alive, which is Baruch and Neriah, the students of Yemiyahu. Why? He wanted to learn as much Torah as he could from Mount Sinai. But as soon as Baruch ben Neria dies, he goes straight to Israel and rebuilds the second temple. That's amazing. It says, we don't, we don't annul the students of the uh, Talmud Torahs for the children. If children learning Torah, we don't annul them even to go and build a temple. Why? Because children learning Torah is like Jews at Mount Sinai. When the kids are learning, can you imagine, uh, the Mashiach comes. He wants all the Jews to come and help build a temple. And the rabbi is teaching children Torah. He's not allowed to leave. Teaching Torah is Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is among us today. Who is the Mount? Mount Sinai. When we learn Torah, we're at Mount Sinai. We have to remember that. And we have to accept the Torah the same way the Jews at Mount Sinai accepted it. With awe and trepidation and, and concentration and focus. It's a great event. That's what we have to put it. When we listen to Mount Sinai, it was, it's a great event. It's a massive event in our lives. So when his Rebbe goes away, Ezra Sofer goes to Eretz Israel. He takes with him 120 sages. Imagine, 120 sages delayed their exit from Babylon to Israel to rebuild the second temple because Mount Sinai was still alive. Baruch ben the link to the oral tradition, was still alive. They're not going to leave. Amazing. The Gemara says, among the 120 rabbis who went to Israel was Mordechai. Mordechai is one of his mentioned. So it's in the Gemara Megillah, you can look it up afterwards. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So that's our Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is still around, but it's not the real Mount Sinai. You know, Mount Sinai has no significance for us. Interesting. The rabbis say the festival of Shavuot has four names. Hagakatsir is the festival of the harvest, the wheat harvest. You know, Pesach is when the festival of the barley harvest, that's when the Omer, the Omer was barley, a barley offering, Omer of barley. Every day of the Omer run offering of barley. Omer of barley was brought in the temple. It was uh, made into flour, very fine flour. It had to be ground down, so it was very fine through many sieves. It took a long time, whole night they were up harvesting and threshing and reaping and all, all the, we, we, you know, we're spoiled. You know, we don't bother with all these things. All these things are done in the bakery, before the bakery, whatever. Uh, we're spoiled. We get the bread ready made, but those, they have to do everything. And it was done on site in the temple. Imagine they had to, they threshed it from next to Yushalayim. Uh, sorry, they, they harvested it. They brought it to the temple. Everything else was done in the temple mount. They had all the equipment to make flour from the barley, but Shavuot is the wheat offering. How do we know? Because that's when we offered up the Shti HaLechem. Two loaves of bread, of wheat bread. Hametz bread was brought on Shavuot. So Pesach, no Hametz. Shavuot it was in the Bet HaMikdash itself, which is very unusual. The only time Hametz was brought in the temple was among the loaves, the 40 loaves of bread with the Korban Todah, the Thanksgiving offering. 
person had to cross the sea, across the, just like we say, Agamil today, those were bringing those days a sacrifice called the Korban Todah. With the sacrifice, he brought 40 loaves of bread. 30 of them were matzah, different kinds of matzah bread, and 10 were hametz bread. That's the only time Hametz was brought to the temple. And, and also on Shavuot, where the two loaves of bread had to be made from wheat flour, which became hametz. Imagine, had to be hametz, they had to be hametz bread. So that's the difference between Shavuot and Pesach. Shavuot is like the end of Pesach, we said. The Ramban says that the days of the Omer are like Cholamoid. They should have been the happiest days in the calendar, like a Cholamoid. Instead, when the students of, um, of Rabbi Kiva passed away, they became sad days. Okay, so that's the first name of Shavuot, Hag Katsir, the festival of the harvest. And that's one of the connections to the Book of Ruth, because the Book of Ruth took place at the festival of the harvest, the harvest season. Now, the story of how she met Boaz was in the harvest season. Number two, it's called Hag HaShavuot, the festival of weeks. Why? It's exactly seven weeks and one day after Pesach. So seven weeks after Pesach, it's called the festival of weeks. It's also called Hag HaBikurim, the first fruits that grow are brought to the Beit HaMikdash. So a person has fruits grown in Israel, and they'll say the whole section, Parsha Kitavo, which became part of a Haggadah, the history from going back to Terah, that our forefather was Arami, Abed Abi, and so on and so forth. And we have to say the whole story going back and the history and then thanking God for the land, for the water, for the trees that he gave us. That's the Haggadah Bikurim, and it's also called Atzeret. Atzeret means stopping. Uh, you come to Israel, you see on the stop sign, it says, Atzor, stop, Atzeret. And this name is not used in the Bible, it's used by the sages. The rabbis use the name Atzeret for Shavuot. It's not mentioned in the Torah. The Torah mentions Haggad Katsir in, in Shemot chapter 23. It mentions Haggad Shavuot in Devarim chapter 16 and Haggad Bikurim. It doesn't mention Atzeret. That's a rabbinical name. It's like Shmini Atzeret. Why Shmini Atzeret? It's a culmination of Sukkot. So too, Shavuot is a culmination of the holidays started by Pesach. It's a combination. It's also a gathering. I'd say it can also be a gathering. The Jews were gathered to accept the Torah. And it's interesting because, you know, whenever there's a convert who wants to convert, we teach them mitzvot the Torah. He's going to learn some mitzvot. And you ask him, like we go through the holidays, usually we say, what's the mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah? Okay, shofar. What's the mitzvah of uh, Yom Kippur? In Yitem Nafshotechem, fasting and so on. And what's the mitzvah of Sukkot? To live in a sukkah, to shake a lulab. What's the mitzvah of Pesach to keep away from Hamas, to eat uh, matzah, etc.? What's the mitzvah of Shavuot? And the answer is you're stumped. Usually people are stumped. But it's the mitzvah of Shavuot, eat cream, eat cheese. That's not a mitzvah, that's a binak. <laughs> What's the mitzvah of Shavuot? And the answer is the mitzvah only applied in the temple. There is no mitzvah today on Shavuot. Interesting. Apart from the mitzvah that apply on every Yom Tov, which is Pesach to eat good food and dress up nicely, that's a mitzvah, which is Samach Hageh, applies to all the festivals, generic mitzvah. But there's no specific mitzvah today on Shavuot. It's interesting. So what, what do we do on Shavuot? And the answer is to attach ourselves to our Sinai through learning. Because we're reimagining the giving of the Torah. We have to reimagine. That's our mitzvah. To reimagine that the Torah was given the mountain trembled. We were all there. We were all gave the Torah. Mass revelation. And uh, that's what Atzeret means, a gathering. We have to remember this gathering. Uh, and uh, Rabbi Shimon says in the Sifri, Hashem was considerate to our people. Think about this. All the festivals have seven days in Israel. Pesach, seven days. Outside Israel, eight days. Don't know how you guys do it. Uh, seven days in Israel. Uh, Sukkot, seven days in Israel, eight days outside Israel. An incentive to move to Israel. Seven days, seven days. Shavuot, one day in Israel, two days outside Israel. Why is Shavuot so short? Should it be seven days? Every festival is seven days. So look at this. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the author of the Zohar, says amazing concept. It says in the Sifri, Hashem was considerate to our people as this is the time of harvesting in the fields. Imagine, Hashem says, you know what? Do the harvest in the fields. Only keep one day Shavuot in Israel. That's enough. I don't want to take away enough time from you. Hashem, the Torah tells us many times, Hashem is considerate 
of the finance of the Jewish people. Hashem does not want to be a big burden to us. Keep one day Shabbat and go back and do your work. Because I know this harvest is going to keep you for the next three months alive or next year alive. And if it's better that you rest on Sukkot, you come back to me on Sukkot for seven days, just take one day holiday. So it's interesting. Kadosh says the name should be pronounced Shavuot rather than Shavuot. Shavuot is weeks. He says Shavuot. We have a tractate in the Talmud called Shavuot, which deal with oaths. He says it's festival. It should be Shavuot because we took oaths to God on Mount Sinai. We took, we accepted the Torah with oaths. One, one oath was taken by God. Hashem will not exchange us for any other nation. And the other oath is we will not exchange God for any other God. So we took oaths. So interesting, there are two oaths. We, said, we should call the name Shevot and Shavuot. Now there's a beautiful minhag of eating dairy foods. It's not a mitzvah. It's a minhag. If you don't like it, don't do it. It's a mitzvah to be happy in your festival. So uh, very important to, uh, so generic, but it's a minhag to have dairy. Why? Why dairy? So the answer is they got the laws of meat and milk and they had all the dishes were all uh, trays and uh, that's why. So we, we can't have meat. They didn't have the shikita. They got the laws of shikita. Uh, so they had dairy. That's it. That's number one. Number two is there's a beautiful pasuk in Shira Shirim, Song of Songs. The Torah should be like milk and honey under your tongue. What is, when I tell people milk and honey, I really, I don't use milk and honey. I just say it should be like ice cream. Imagine it's a hot day and there's great ice cream. I think when you have, when you learn Torah, it should be as pleasurable as eating ice cream. So the milk represents this. It should be a land flowing milk and honey, which means it should be a land of ice cream. It should be a land which is pleasurable to live in. And the Torah should also be like ice cream under your tongue. That's a good way now to have ice cream on Shavuot. And think about when you learn Torah, it should be like a pleasurable experience of having ice cream on a nice hot day. Um, so uh, it's interesting. So number two, we said, is the pleasure of learning Torah. It's like ice cream. The gematria of Chalav is 40. Chet, Lamed, Bet. Chet is 8. Lamed is 30. Bet is 2. 40. Represents the 40 days Moses was on Mount Sinai. Um, and uh, so interesting, there's a beautiful, this is one of my favorite ideas. Moshe Rabbeinu was born on the 7th of Adar, and he was hidden for three months. Those three months are up on Shavuot. Guys, the months are up on Shavuot. And that's when he needed a woman to feed him, because he was, he was uh, given over to Pharaoh's uh, daughter. She found him, she takes him, but she needs a, a woman to feed the baby. And the miracle happened that Miriam came and she paid Moshe Rabbeinu's mother, Yochebet, to feed Moshe Rabbeinu, to give him chalab. And that's why we have chalab. One of the reasons why we have chalab on Shavuot. So I want to wish you all a very uh, pleasurable, meaningful Shavuot. Let's all imagine that we're back at Har Sinai and try and imagine this experience, this awesome experience. And Be'ez Rav Hashem, we won't just uh, imagine the past experience, we'll get an external experience and my Shia council all had this uh, mass revelation that's rather shim. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.